the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. In fact, this is the last live program of the Georgine Rice Show of 2019. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that shortly. Today, we are going to feature the Rice Family Christmas, and with me in studio will be Dan Rice. Yes, Mr. Rice himself. And we're going to focus all of our attention on the days that are coming in which we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we get to that, I want to give you a little bit of headline news. It's not as if, you know, anything's happened in the last couple of days. Well, Senate Majority Leader... um Mitch McConnell returned to the Senate floor late Thursday to declare that the Senate and House Democrats were at an impasse over whether the House would transmit its articles of impeachment against President Trump to the GOP-controlled Senate for a constitutionally mandated trial. Now, uh, the timing, uh, I suppose you could argue the Speaker of the House has some flexibility with, but she is required by the Constitution, which was so heartily embraced in the hearings, uh, I should say the uh, debate leading up to the impeachment vote to turn uh, the impeachment case over to the Senate. Uh, They are to make the case, the House, before the Senate. They are the trial court, if you will. Um, Nonetheless, uh, the timing, I suppose you could debate, the fact that she has to turn it over is not debatable. Well, McConnell, speaking after a meeting with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, said the top Democrat had insisted on departing from the unanimous bipartisan precedent that 100 senators approved before the beginning of President Bill Clinton's trial concerning logistics. So this is a whole new ball game. For his part, uh, the president called for an immediate Senate trial. So after the Democrats gave me no due process in the House, no lawyers, no witnesses, no nothing... They now want to tell the Senate how to run their trial, he tweeted late Thursday. Well, actually, they have zero proof of anything. They will never even show up. They want out. I want an immediate trial, end quote. Well, earlier on Thursday, McConnell delivered a separate address where he tore into House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, accusing her of doing shoddy work and saying Democrats may be too afraid to send the articles to the Senate. Well, the back and forth rhetoric comes as Noah Feldman, the Harvard Law School professor who testified for Democrats at an impeachment hearing earlier this month, wrote an explosive op-ed asserting that if Democrats do not forward the impeachment articles to the Senate as dictated by the Constitution, then Trump was never even impeached at all. This is a guy from their side. The Constitution dictates that after impeachment by a majority in the House, the two-thirds vote is needed in the Senate to remove a president from office. So the back and forth continues. Now, the good news is they're all going to take off for Christmas recess, recess rather, and there'll be a lull in what happens next. In other news, long-simmering tensions boiled over Thursday night's um, 2020 Democratic presidential primary debate in Los Angeles as a blunt one-on-one sparring match erupted between Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren over their fundraising. Just minutes after businessman Andrew Yang slammed Democrats' obsession with President Trump 
and impeachment. Senator Warren began the fiery exchange by criticizing Buttigieg's recent lavish fundraiser in Napa, California, saying he was cavorting with billionaires in wine caves. That prompted Buttigieg to retort that Warren, a multimillionaire, was a populist in name only. You know, according to Forbes magazine, I'm literally the only person on this stage who is not a millionaire or billionaire, Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, said. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you yourself cannot pass. Ouch. Well, the United States-Mexico Canada agreement passed the House of Representatives on Thursday after both the Trump administration and House Democrats took credit for the $1.2 billion deal they say will be better for Americans than the North American Free Trade Agreement. Of course, we'll take credit for it, says House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at a news conference on Thursday morning. It would have collateral benefit for the president. I don't care about that. We had an opportunity to do something very important for America's people. Well, late Thursday, President Trump blasted Pelosi in a tweet suggesting she doesn't even know what it says. The bill now heads to the Senate, where Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he'll take it up after an impeachment trial for Trump. So if they want to pass the thing... The House has to do what it's required constitutionally to do, and that is to pass the articles to the Senate. USMCA is expected to create about 176,000 new jobs and inject $34 billion into the U.S. auto industry, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross says. Uh, Citing uh, International Trade Commission data, he added that as many as 589,000 new jobs could be created within five years. Well, it's official. House Democrats has clo- have closed up shop without sending articles of impeachment to the Senate. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. If the impeachment articles are not delivered, did the impeachment happen? Well, as I mentioned, um, it's sort of a stupid question, but we're living in stupid times, according to the National Review. The Senate has sent a 2020 budget to the president's desk. It's not necessarily in our best interest when you rush through such major decision making, but that seems to be the way things are handled these days. 21 things an 18-year-old can do under spending uh, um, bill before they can legally buy cigarettes. 21. This is what 18-year-olds can do under the new spending bill if they want to buy a cigarette. Here's everything you intentionally missed during Thursday night's Democrat debate. You'll find it at the Daily Caller. It was explosive at times, but largely overlooked, overshadowed by impeachment back and forth. Nancy Pelosi may, in fact, sabotage those who are seeking the party's nomination as she's taken all the air out of the room uh, with the impeachment, which now may be delayed until January when the next debate uh, happens and when uh, some of those senators who are running for the party's nomination, the Democrat Party, will have to be seated in the Senate rather than campaigning. Kind of an interesting timing issue. Well, U.S. Attorney John Durham is scrutinizing ex-CIA Director John Brennan's role in the Russia interference findings. And as you know, Mr. Durham's uh, case is much broader than Mr. Horowitz, and we're likely to see some criminal charges related to the abuse of the FISA court. That's coming up sometime, I suppose, in 2020. And the United States-Mexico-Canada trade deal has passed the House with broad bipartisan support, as I mentioned, and languishes in the Senate until after the holidays. The president has signed groundbreaking legislation supporting historically black colleges and universities. And J.K. Rowling is uh, uh, is indicated by the um, uh, woke enforcement agency. I didn't know there was one. Her transgression, transphobia. She stood in support of actual females uh, whose uh, interests are undermined by those who self-identify as females. Iowa, an Iowa man who uh, burned an LGBTQ flag has been sentenced to 16 years. 
Burning an American flag is free speech. Burning an LGBTQ flag, on the other hand, will get you 16 years. Well, on this day in history, the United States launched Operation Just Cause, sending troops into Panama to topple the government of General Manuel Noriega. On this date in 1803, the Louisiana Purchase is completed as ownership of the territory is formally transferred from France to the United States. In 1860, on this very date, South Carolina becomes the first state to secede from the Union as all 169 delegates to a special convention in Charleston vote in favor of separation. And in 1924, Adolf Hitler is released from prison after serving nine months for his role in the Beer Hall Putsch. That's P-U-T-S-C-H. It's not a push. It's a German word. 1963, on this very date, the Berlin Wall is opened for the first time in West, rather two West Berliners who are allowed one day visits to relatives in the eastern sector for the holidays. And in 1999, on this day, the Vermont Supreme Court rules that homosexual couples are entitled to the same benefits and protections of wedded couples of the opposite sex. On 2005, the federal judge, a federal judge, rules that intelligent design could not be mentioned in biology classes in a Pennsylvania public school district, delivering a stinging attack on the Dover area school board. And finally, on this date in 2017, the House gives final congressional approval to a $1.5 trillion tax overhaul, the biggest package of tax changes in a generation, and the first major legislative achievement of President Trump and House and Senate Republicans. Some Republicans warn of a potential backlash against an overhaul that offers corporations and wealthy taxpayers the biggest benefits. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to uh, make our way into a Rice family Christmas, but first a few more headlines and a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is the more somber portion of our Friday program, but thought it important to cover some of the major headlines of the day. Later in the program, in fact, starting with our very next segment featuring Dan Rice and a Rice family Christmas. So I hope you'll stay with us. We hope to put a smile on your face and maybe, a, I don't know, something in your heart as well. Well, you may be aware of a controversy that's broiling following an, a, uh, an article uh, in Christianity Today calling for President Trump to be removed from office. This is splitting evangelicals, and there's been quite a backlash as a result. Todd Starnes, writing on the subject, says, uh, You should be aware that some of evangelical Christianity's most cherished institutions have been overrun by leftists disguised as woke social justice warriors. Wow. Indeed, some of our most conservative religious denominations have also been breached by sex and gender revolutionaries, open border globalists, and race-baiting charlatans peddling identity politics. And that brings me to this, again, quoting Todd Starnes. Christianity Today, a magazine founded by Billy Graham, just called for President Trump to be removed from office. Please know that Christianity Today is not a mainstream evangelical publication, nor does it speak for that many evangelicals. And now would be too good a time to cancel your uh, subscription. Whether Mr. Trump should be removed from office by the Senate or by popular vote next election, that is a matter of prudential judgment. That he should be removed, we believe, is not a matter of partisan loyalties, but loyalty to the creator of the Ten Commandments. So wrote editor-in-chief Mark Galley. But the facts in this instance are 
Unambiguous. The president of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader, Galley goes on to say, to harass and discredit one of the president's political opponents. That is not only a violation of the Constitution, more importantly, it is profoundly immoral, he wrote. Well, Mr. Galley then lectured Christians who support the president. To the many evangelicals, he wrote, who continue to support Mr. Trump in spite of his blackened moral record, I would say bleak moral record myself. We might say this. Remember who you are and whom you serve. Consider how your justification of Mr. Trump influences your witness to your Lord and Savior. Consider what an unbelieving world will say if you continue to brush off Mr. Trump's immoral words and behavior in the cause of political expediency. If we don't uh, reverse course now, will anyone take anything we say about justice and righteousness with any seriousness for decades to come? Again, quoting from Galley, can we say with a straight face that abortion is a great evil that cannot be tolerated. Well, yes. And with the same straight face, say that the bent and broken character of our nation's leaders does not really matter in the end. Could someone point me to the addition of Christianity today where they called for the removal of President Obama, uh, charges Todd Starnes. Then another uh, a column in which Franklin Graham says, and this is a quote, Christianity Today is leftist magazine. Now, this is the um, the magazine that was founded by his late father, evangelist Billy Graham. Uh, he writes, as I predicted, uh, let's see, on Thursday, Christianity Today released the uh, column. He goes on to say the magazine founded by Billy Graham was once a respected and revered publication. But in recent years, the magazine has embraced liberalism, specifically social justice causes, identity politics and wokeness. As I predicted in my column last night, Tan Starnes uh, points out the mainstream media is pushing a narrative that Christianity Today speaks for all evangelicals. They do not. And they certainly do not speak for the late Billy Graham. Franklin Graham, a regular guest on my national radio show, posted this message on Facebook. You need to read and share this message. And again, I'm quoting from a column written by Todd Starnes in which he quotes the son of the late Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. Franklin writes, Christianity Today released an editorial stating that President Trump should be removed from office, and they invoked my father's name, I suppose to try to bring legitimacy to their statements. So I feel it is important for me to respond. Yes, my father, Billy Graham, founded Christianity Today, but no, he would not agree with their opinion piece. In fact, he would be very disappointed. I have not previously shared who my father voted for in the past election, but because of this article, I feel it is necessary to share it now. My father knew Donald Trump. He believed in Donald Trump and he voted for Donald Trump. He believed that Donald J. Trump was the man for this hour in the history of our nation. For Christianity today to side with the Democrat Party in a total partisan attack on the president of the United States is unfathomable, he writes. Again, quoting Franklin Graham, Christianity today failed to acknowledge that not one single Republican voted with the Democrats to impeach the president. I know a number of Republicans in Congress, and many of them are strong Christians. If the president were guilty of what the Democrats claimed, these Republicans would have joined with the Democrats to impeach him. But the Democrats were not even unanimous. Two voted against impeachment and one voted president. This impeachment was politically motivated, 100 percent partisan. Why uh, would Christianity today choose to take the side of the Democrat left, whose only goal is to discredit and smear the name of a sitting president? Uh, They want uh, readers to believe the Democrat leadership rather than believe the president of the United States. Now, again, I'm quoting from Franklin Graham, 
writing in response to the uh, piece that was written by the editor of Christianity Today. He goes on to say, look at all the president has accomplished in a very short time. The economy of our nation is the strongest it has been in 50 years. ISIS and the caliphate have been defeated, and the president has renegotiated trade deals to benefit all Americans. The list of accomplishments is so long, but for me as a Christian, the fact that he is the most pro-life president in modern history is extremely important. And Christianity Today wants us to ignore that, to say it doesn't count. The president has been a staunch defender of religious freedom at home and around the world, and Christianity Today wants us to ignore that. Franklin Graham goes on. Also, the president has appointed conservative judges in record numbers, and Christianity Today wants us to ignore that. Christianity Today feels he should be removed from office because of false accusations that the president emphatically denies. Christianity Today said it's time to call a spade a spade. The spade is this. Christianity Today has been used by the left for their political agenda. It's obvious that Christianity Today has moved to the left and is representing the elitist liberal wing of evangelicalism. Is President Trump guilty of sin? Of course he is, as we are, um, as we all past presidents. As we're all past presidents and as each one of us are, including myself. Therefore, let's pray for the president as he continues to lead the affairs of our nation. So two very starkly different views on the president, the impeachment of the president and where evangelicals uh, should stand with regard to it all. Uh, My caution at this point would be to pray fervently for the president of the United States to pray Uh, fervently for those who are going to make final decisions about the future of this administration and to uh, uh, consider carefully the case that was made in the House, which, from my perspective, um, uh, did not meet the threshold of impeachment. But we must each, according to our own conscience and not just based on the opinions expressed by other individuals, but carefully consider the facts ourselves and move forward Um, in good conscience. And again, whatever your position is on all of this, the nation is seriously divided and we need to pray for our nation that somehow God would bring something of value and benefit out of all of this turmoil. A couple of things I'll mention before we go to break and switch our uh, our focus to Rice Family Christmas. Fox News Sunday anchor Chris Wallace believes uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi may be trying to frustrate the president by withholding the articles of impeachment. Well, yeah, you think as the two chambers have reached an impasse on how to proceed. Well, he pointed uh, to an interview uh, with Senator Lindsey Graham, where he described Trump as very mad. I won't quote him directly about the impeachment and the possibility of being denied his day in court. The reason they're denying him his day in court is because they know their case. Well, again, a word I would not use is weak. I'll put it that way. Well, Wallace said he interprets Graham's comments to mean that Trump is frustrated and is eager for the Senate trial to begin. This is really getting under President Trump's skin. Perhaps that's one reason Uh, They're withholding the articles of impeachment. McConnell incredulously returned to the Senate floor late Thursday to declare that the Senate and House Democrats were at an impasse. McConnell, speaking after the meeting with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, said the top Democrat had insisted on departing from the unanimous bipartisan precedent uh, that 100 senators approved before the beginning of President Bill Clinton's trial concerning logistics. Well, whatever the motivation might be, whatever the impact ultimately will be, We're not going to hear anything more about it, which is a bit refreshing until after the holidays. Finally, after nearly a week of speculation, Representative Jeff Van Drew, a Democrat from New Jersey, announced Thursday during an Oval Office meeting with President Trump 
that he will be joining the Republican Party. The congressman, one of just a few Democrats who voted against impeaching the president on Wednesday, explained his reason for the party switch. This is just a better fit for me, he said. There were other times in my life when I thought about this. Well, Trump and Van Drew shook hands with the president calling him a tremendous asset to the party and telling Van Drew, I'm with you all the way. I'm with you, Van Drew said in response. Well, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, also a Republican, of course, added he's going from the majority to the minority. That doesn't happen. Vice President Pence thanked Van Drew for his common sense, saying your district will be as grateful as we are. Rumblings of a possible party switch in the midst of the Democrat-led impeachment proceedings against the president caused members of his caucus to accuse him of clamoring to cross the aisle in an attempt to save his bid for re-election and forced five aides from his office to resign. Well, there you have it. The switch has been made. And finally, British lawmakers overwhelmingly voted to approve Prime Minister Boris Johnson's new Brexit deal on Friday, marking a moment of triumph days after winning a commanding parliamentary majority. What that means uh, in the future will certainly follow that story as it will inevitably develop. Right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. The Rice Family Christmas up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. Rice Family Christmas with Dan Rice. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Georgine. <laughs> Let's start with Micah, the fifth chapter. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace. And then from Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we we hear this from Luke the, the evangelist. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And then from Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 7. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and who was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths 
and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go. Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which they were told them by these shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it was just as it has been told to them. Uh, Keep going, Georgine. Yeah. Okay. This is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, The king, Magi, from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Israel, of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! And search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. (laughs) We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Listening to the Georgine Rice Show, Dan Rice is with me in studio. We're having something of a Rice family Christmas. 
And it's always fun to have you in studio, Dan Rice. Thanks, Georgine. <laughs> you know, I mentioned earlier at the end of the last segment that uh, Charlie Bound Christmas, I quoted that line that Linus uh, gives. You know, Charles Schultz, who was the award-winning creator of the Peanuts comic strip back in Um, I think it goes back to 1950. He was a devoted Christian. He included the gospel in more than 560 of his 17,800 creations. And one of the most recognizable examples of his theological message is, of course, packaged in a Charlie Brown Christmas television special uh, that's uh, aired annually for 54 years. I watched it this morning as I was getting ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the uh, CBS didn't even want to put the show on. Originally, they thought... It was going to be trouble. But when the show aired, it got outstanding reviews. In fact, um, the Washington Post TV critic, Lawrence Laurent, wrote, Good old Charlie Brown, a natural-born loser, finally turned up a winner. You know, it's interesting because... Um, CBS thought the Bible reading might turn off viewers because that next uh, year, one of Time Magazine's most famous covers, Is God Dead, was featured in April of 1966. And it was a cover story that for a previous article from October of 65, uh, and they were you know, pointing to the, the trend uh, that theologians were writing God out of the field of theology. So this was at a time when it was uh, growing less popular to make any reference to God at all. And yet Charles Schultz wanted to do that in his famous Charlie Brown cartoon, which I absolutely love. Right. And he did it uh, in the television special. Uh, Charlie Brown is frustrated by the commercialization of Christmas. His dog Snoopy wants to win a holiday decorating contest. His sister Sally is anxious about receiving her fair share of presents <laughs> His friend Lucy wants real estate. In an attempt to get in touch with the real spirit of Christmas, Charlie Brown picks out a small struggling tree instead of a shiny aluminum one, but his friends only laugh at him. Uh, He goes on to get help from Linus. This Uh, is the best part of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Well, when Linus shares what Christmas is all about, he quotes from Luke, the second chapter, verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I will bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And one of the things I didn't notice was that Linus, when he says the words fear not, he actually drops the security blanket that he always has with him. And Charles Schultz was implying that the birth of Jesus separates people from their fears, that if Jesus frees people from the habits they're unable or unwilling to break. And so it was much more profound and I think most of us who are glued to the television just enjoying the great music and uh, this endearing story that was being told um, was uh, was featuring. Right. And after Linus finishes his speech, he, he picks up that blanket, but this time he lays it down forever at the base of the Christmas tree, kind of as an analogy to leaving it at the foot of the cross. Uh, then the Peanuts gang worships God as they sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn king. Um, the obvious song choice could uh, have been O Christmas Tree, the notes of which have already been playing gently in the background, but the focus is not the tree. The focus is Christ. Linus proclaims and demonstrates the true freedom and security that only Jesus can give. 
Well, again, back in 65, Schultz got pushback from producers and executives at CBS about using the Gospel of Luke scripture text in a television special. But Charles Schultz, you may not know, was a Sunday school teacher, and he said Linus should recite from the Gospel of Luke. Both the producers and the director didn't agree and tried to convince him otherwise. Well, one said, we looked at each other and said, well, there goes our careers right down the drain. Nobody had ever animated anything from the Bible before, and we knew it probably wouldn't work. We were flabbergasted by it. Well, Mendelssohn even suggested uh, that a laugh track would save the show. Schultz responded by standing up and walking out of the room. Uh, The producer told Schultz, whose nickname was Sparky, uh, Sparky, this is religion. It just doesn't go in a cartoon. But Schultz had a simple response. Bill, if we don't do it, who will? We can do it. Yeah. He insisted. (laughs) Of course, the, the scripture stayed in the special and a multitude of viewers who treasure this moment are glad that it did. In fact, the show won a Peabody and an Emmy Award, and CBS immediately ordered four more specials. You know, this special, Georgine, has been shown every year, sometimes twice a year, uh, on CBS ever since yeah. 1965. I think they said, what, 54 years, something yeah, like long, that? Yeah, the longest-running special ever. Yeah. One guy said, yeah, we're going to do this. And when he was challenged, he walked out of the room. He won the day, and I think we all are richer for it. This little animated uh, cartoon puts into perspective what Christmas is really all about. Right, and if you haven't seen it, find it. I think you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. That's where you have to go. And it's relevant, I think, to every generation. As I watched it this morning as a 63-year-old, I thought, my niece and nephew, if they haven't already, my grandniece and nephew, they need to see this because it affirms what they already know. Uh, But it's just done in such a beautifully... Uh, illustrated way. And um, I don't know, I just, I love Charlie Brown's Christmas. Yep. It's a great show. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back. You're listening to the Rice Family Christmas radio show. In fact, this is, uh, for me, the last live program of 2019. I'll explain what that means in just a few moments, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. With me in studio is Dan Rice, and we're just talking Christmas this afternoon. Hi, Georgine. Hi, Dan Rice. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, too. Um, Melvin Newland wrote this. I didn't write it, but Melvin Newland wrote it. He says, one of my favorite Christmas stories is about the old shoe cobbler who dreamed one Christmas Eve that Jesus would come to visit him the next day. The dream was so real that it he was convinced it would come true. So the next morning he got up and went out, cut green boughs, decorated his little cobbler shop, and got all ready for Jesus to come and visit. He was so sure that Jesus was going to come that he just sat down and waited for him. The hours passed and Jesus didn't come, but an old man came. He came inside for a moment to get warm out of the winter cold. As the cobbler talked with him, he noticed the holes in the old man's shoes. So he reached up on the shelf and got him a new pair of shoes. He made sure they fit, that his socks were dry, and then he sent him on his way. And still he waited, but Jesus didn't come. An old woman came, a woman who hadn't had a decent meal in two days. They sat and visited for a while. Then he prepared some food for her to eat. He gave her a nourishing meal and sent her on her way. Then he sat down again to wait for Jesus. But Jesus still didn't come. Then he heard a little boy crying out in the front of his shop. He went out and talked with the boy 
and discovered that the boy had been separated from his parents and didn't know how to get home. So he put on his coat, took the boy by the hand, and led him home. When he came back to his little shop, it was almost dark, and the streets were emptied of people. And then in a moment of despair, he lifted his voice to heaven and said, Oh, Lord Jesus, why didn't you come? And then, in that moment of silence, he seemed to hear a voice saying, Oh, shoe cobbler, lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times I knocked at your friendly door. Three times My shadow fell across your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the boy in the homeless street. Jesus had come. The cobbler just hadn't realized it. Oh, that's a great story. Good story. Yeah. It's a reminder that there are people in our neighborhoods, in our offices, who for them, Christmas is not a joyous time. It's a time of heartbreak and great need. And we have opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ in extending his love into our community. Here's another thing I thought was kind of interesting. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior putting things into perspective. One of the things I um, enjoy about Christmas is how sometimes kids can misunderstand uh, what's happening, what we're singing. And I know I, growing up, singing Christmas carols, sometimes I think the words are saying one thing and then you find out they're saying another. (laughs) This is uh, kind of a funny story in that vein. A little boy and girl were singing their favorite Christmas carol in church the Sunday before Christmas. The boy concluded Silent Night with the words, Sleep in Heavenly Beans. No, no, his sister corrected. Not beans, peas. (laughs) A girl of 10 years went with a group of family and friends to see the Christmas light display at various locations throughout the city. At one church, they stopped and got out to look more closely at a beautifully done nativity scene. Isn't that beautiful, said the little girl's grandmother. Look at all the animals, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Yes, Grandma, replied the granddaughter. It is really nice, but there is only one thing that bothers me. Isn't baby Jesus ever going to grow up? He's the same size he was last year. (laughs) Sadly, there are too many people who want to keep Jesus in the manger, but that's just the beginning of the story and the incarnation of Christ. He came with purpose. In fact, he made that statement uh, as an adult that he was born into the world for this purpose. And the incarnation was uh, in order to do the Father's will, that's in John 6, to bear witness to the truth in John 18, to bring light to the darkness in John 12, to bring true judgment in John 9, and to bring abundant life, John 10. Now, it's uh, easy to embrace some of these others, but perhaps we miss the point of John 10, that we are supposed to live abundant life, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in close communion with the Lord. But I think sometimes we miss that one um, altogether. Uh, We're going to come back and you have a great story that you're going to share with us uh, in just a few moments. Yes, ma'am. Okay. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Dan Rice is with me in studio. It's a really good day when Dan Rice is in studio. Uh, This is our last live broadcast of 2019. In fact, uh, going to be celebrating Christmas and taking a little vacation time. So have been looking forward to today and certainly for the next couple of weeks. We'll be back. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Once upon a time, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted son, shared a passion for collecting art. Together they traveled around the world, adding only 
the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless paintings by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of their family estate. The widowed father looked on with great satisfaction as his son became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. One year as fall approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After a few short months, the father received the tragic news that his son had been killed in action. The father was deeply grieved for the loss of his only child. Distraught, having lost his wife years before, and lonely in his grief, he faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. All the music and decorating could do nothing to cheer him. But on Christmas morning, he was awakened and told there was someone to see him. In pajamas and bathrobe, he went down to the parlor where he was greeted by a soldier with a large wrapped package in his hand. The soldier introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son and was the one he was rescuing when he was killed, and I have something for you. I'm an artist, said the soldier, though not a very good one, but I want you to have this. He handed over the package. As the father opened it, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the world would never consider it the work of a genius, the painting captured the young man's face in striking detail. The father was awestruck at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son on canvas. Overcome with emotion and welling up with tears, he thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, said the soldier. I could never repay what your son did for me. Please accept it. It's a gift. The father had paintings moved in order to hang the portrait over his mantle. After the soldier had gone, the man sat in his chair and spent the rest of that cold, snowy Christmas day warmed by gazing at the extraordinary gift he had been given. During the days that followed, the man learned that his son had saved many of his wounded comrades before a bullet steered, stilled his caring heart. As the stories of his son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief a little. The painting of his son became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which museums around the world clamored. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. The following summer, the man became ill and died, sending the art world into great anticipation. According to the will, there would be an auction on Christmas Day, the day the father had received his most precious painting of all. On December 25th, art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. They had visions of fulfilled dreams and achieved greatness. Who would be able to say, I have the greatest collection. But the auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. 
Who will open the bidding with $100, he asked. Several seconds passed and no one spoke. A bidder shouted, who cares about the painting? Let's forget it and get on to the good stuff. Many voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer firmly. Now who will take this painting of the sun? More silence. The bidders began to shift restlessly. Who will take the sun, he cried, from the back of the room. The estate's gardener, a friend of the deceased father, spoke. Will you take ten dollars for the painting? That's all I have. I knew and loved the boy, so I'd like to have it. Will anyone go higher, called the auctioneer. Give it to him for ten dollars and move on to the masters, someone shouted. After more uncomfortable silence, the auctioneer finally banged his gavel and declared going once, going twice, sold for ten dollars cheers filled the room and someone exclaimed now we can bid on the real treasures but the auctioneer laid down his gavel i'm sorry he said the auction is over stunned disbelief quieted the room what do you mean it's over someone said we didn't come here for an amateur painting of the man's son We've come a long way to bid on the millions of dollars of art pieces in this collection. We demand an explanation. And the auctioneer replied, It's very simple. There is a stipulation in the man's will that I was not allowed to reveal until now. Only the painting of the man's son would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the priceless art. The auction is over because according to the will of the father, Whoever takes the sun gets everything. On that Christmas day, the poor gardener who loved the sun became one of the wealthiest of men. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, I get asked all the time, um, what's your favorite Christmas song? And I always say, what is it today? Because <laughs> uh, I've got several. But Hark the Herald Angels Sing has a funny um, history it was written by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the two brothers who brought uh, revival to England a long time ago. It was renamed by their um, theological opponent, George Whitfield, who called it who called it Hark the Herald Angels Sing when he reprinted uh, the song. Uh, but uh, the, the words are so good to this Christmas carol. I'd just like to read them. Can I just read them, yeah. Georgine? Okay. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. And verse 2. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to 
the newborn king. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate in us thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain thee the life, the inner man. O to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, Dan Rice... Here we are, days away from Christmas, and I know you and I, it's been a very busy season. We've already hosted a couple of Christmas parties for your family, for my mother celebrating her birthday and the birth of Christ. And we've worked really hard at keeping Christ at the center of Christmas. It's a challenge these days, but we need to do that. And I hope what we've presented here today reminds us all the reason for the season. Well, uh, absolutely. Um, Great music, great, uh, you know, great stories we were able to tell. I, I hope that everybody remembers why we tell these stories and why we uh, listen to this music. You know, it's um, we haven't done any Christmas shopping for the celebration on Christmas Eve. No, I'm it's going to be frantic. Cooking the dinner, and I haven't even bought the groceries. <laughs> I just yesterday kind of wrote out the menu. There's a lot going on, but I'm determined that as I make my way to Costco to buy the stuff, and I'm buying gifts everywhere, and I'm hearing the Christmas music playing in the background, occasionally you'll hear a sacred song or two, and I'm going to keep the joy of Christ in my heart. It's something I've, I'm intending, I'm intentional about uh, doing for the next few days. I'm going to be taking uh, the next couple of weeks off for vacation, and I'm so looking forward to not sitting at my office and listening to the back and forth in Washington, D.C., rem- being reminded, as my guest said earlier this week, that our salvation is not going to come on Air Force One. It's not going to be uh, seated in the House or the Senate, and it gives us an opportunity to focus on the one in whom we place our trust. So I hope you have a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. I'm going to come back on the 6th of January, refreshed and ready to go, spending some time with Dan Rice and with my mom, and I uh, hope you have a great Christmas. Anything Merry, else, Dan? Yeah, just just Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, the X in Xmas represents Christ. So my, all my friends who are upset when they see Xmas, don't be upset. It, the X is represents Christ. So Is that in Latin? What is that? Yeah. It's in Latin. Yeah. So it's not as insulting. Some people might use it for that purpose, but... Well, evangelicals get upset when they see Mary Xmas, but I'm, you got to be a Catholic and know some Latin, uh, or have grown up that way anyway, to know that the X stands for Christ. So he's even the centerpiece when the word is abbreviated yeah. in English. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Let's let's enjoy it together. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.